So this morning, we're going to start a new series, and, and last night, I, I, you know, I don't know if you make yourself laugh, I make myself laugh sometimes, but I was thinking about this issue about what it looks like. You know what? For, for four weeks, five weeks, I did a marriage series, right? And so those of you that have been with us, you know that. We, for the last four or five weeks, uh, we've been going through a marriage series, and now I'm moving into a series about, series about suffering. So, <laughs> so they're not related, Okay? So don't even try to read into that. I don't want to, I don't want to be in trouble. Last night, before I had an opportunity to ask here, I, I said some jokes, and they're probably inappropriate about marriage, but they were funny. And so I'm not going to say them today, so I'm going to stay out of trouble. So I had people send their comments to Dwayne at fellowshipoftherockies.org, so I didn't have to deal with it. So anyway, if you're here this morning, we want to start a brand new ser- series, and we're going to look at this issue, and it's an emotional issue, and I get that, and I understand that. It's an issue of talking about suffering. And so so as the series name is Breaking Point, uh, this week we're going to look at Job's life, Job 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, your, your, any electronic devices, however you get Scripture, however you read Scripture, you can pull that out to Job chapter 1. Now listen, normally I, I preach out of the ESV, but because this is a narrative, uh, I'm going to use the New Living Translation this morning a lot. And so if you have your electronic source, you can change translations uh, and follow along with me if you'd like. But we're in this, we're starting this series, and so today we're going to look at when the unexpected happens. Next week we're going to look at dealing with discouragement through crisis. And then the following week we're going to look out of Job's life, we're going to look at the issue about when God shows up in the midst of crisis and problems. Now listen, I know this is an emotional subject. In fact, it's George Barna a near, number of years ago did a very extensive survey. And he surveyed a group of adults, and he asked them this question. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? And the number one question, fact is, it was an overwhelming response to this question, was why do you allow pa- pa- uh, pain and suffering in the world? If you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful and you're all-loving, then why do you allow hurt? Why do you allow pain? Now listen, the book of Job does not give simplistic answers to a very complex subject. In fact is, here's what I've learned. And, you know, as a pastor and dealing with loss and dealing with crisis, that sometimes we give very simplistic answers to people that are in the midst of great crisis. And you know what we bring? We bring pain. And we, because sometimes those words are just hollow. I mean, I've heard several different things. I've heard things at funerals when someone has lost a loved one and, and people have said, well, you know what? I guess God needed them in heaven more than you. Is that helpful? Or when someone has gone through loss, whether it's loss of a marriage, a loss of a job, or loss of their health, or gone through a difficult time, and people looked at them and said, well, I guess God just felt. If anybody could handle it, it was you. None of those are helpful. And so we want to be very, very careful this morning that we don't give simplistic answers to very complex solutions or very complex situations that the book of Job is about suffering. And yes, we're going to walk through this, and yes, we're going to understand it. But more than anything, the book of Job never gives an answer to the question, why? Why does this happen? Why does God allow that? fact is, the book of Job talks more about how do we handle it when the unexpected happens? How do we get through hurt? How do we get through pain? How do we, how do we handle that in our lives? So if you have your Bibles, Job chapter 1, we're just going to read together, and I'm going to give you three principles this morning. Starting in verse 1 out of Job chapter 1, here's what the Scripture says. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of, of Uz. Now, the, the land of Uz was right it, kind of at the border of Saudi Arabia and Iraq. So that's kind of where the boundary of it was. 
And so all of a sudden, we start learning some things about Job that is just so helpful, helpful for us to understand. Context is so important in Scripture, especially when you're looking at a subject like this, especially when you're looking at a narrative. And so the Bible starts telling us some things about some, some attributes of Job or some characteristics of Job. And so the Bible goes on and he says, so he was blameless. Now listen, that doesn't mean he was sinless. That doesn't mean that he was perfect. Uh, th- that means this. He lived his life in right relationship to God. He's in right relationship to God. You see, positionally, when we're in Christ, we are forgiven. It doesn't mean we're sinless. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. But we live life positionally in right relationship to God. And Job was this type of guy. That he lived life, he was blameless, not sinless, not perfect. But he lived his life in right relationship with God. And so he goes on and, and gives us some more insight into his life. And he was a man of complete integrity. This means that, that he was transparent. This means that he was real. This really means this, that not only did Job live his life in right relationship to God, but Job lived his life in right relationship to his fellow man. That his whole life was integrated in together. His spiritual life just wasn't something that he did on weekends or just something he did for an hour. That he was a person of great integrity and he led his business, he led his family, he led his relationships built upon this principle of great integrity. And so he goes on, and he feared God, and he stayed away from evil. In other words, he was a devoted worshiper. I mean, he was a devoted worshiper. He, he worshiped God in, in, in a sanctuary, a church. He was faithful to his church. He served in his church. And then he goes on, and he says, verse 2, and he had seven sons and three daughters. And so we don't even have time this morning to unpack the meaning of the seven and three, uh, perfection and complete and all that other stuff. But here's what the writer, here's what we're learning, that Job had a perfect family. All right? So he lived his life in right relationship to God. He lived his life in right relationship to fellow man. Uh, he was a devoted worshiper. He was active in his church. He followed God. And then it says that he had this perfect family because he had the perfect number, seven sons and three daughters. And then you see the seven and three again in his possessions. He, had, uh, he owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact the richest person in the entire area. So why is that so important? That is so important for us to understand that the Bible says that, yes, bad things happen to good people. He's a devoted worshiper. He was a good man. He loved his family deeply. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. He lived in right relationship to God. He lived in right relationship to other people. And the Scripture tells us that, yes... Bad things do happen to good people. Fact is, he was so devoted to his family. He tried to atone. He tried to atone for his kids' sins or perceived sins, verse 4. Job's son would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. Then this is just such an important phrase of the life of Job. And the scripture says this was Job's regular practice. This wasn't something that Job just did at Christmas and Easter. This wasn't just something that Job did every once in a while. 
what the scripture says. This was Job's regular practice. In other words, Job cared uh, deeply about his family. He cared deeply about his children's spiritual faith and, and how they worshiped and how they followed God to where he tried to atone. Man, he tried to, he wanted to hand his faith off to his kids. So this morning, I just want to give you three principles about this, this issue of suffering and how we navigate through it. Today is really an introduction as to where we're going to go the next couple of weeks. And man, I have a lot to share with you over the next few weeks. And, and uh, I am praying that it just gives us a lot of insight into this issue of, of suffering and hurt and pain and loss in life. The first one is this, that we just got to get. Life is not fair. Don't expect it to be. Life isn't fair. And don't expect it to be. You know, the, you know what gives us anger? Anger is this, unmet expectations. Whether it's with a wife, a husband, whether it's with a job, whether it's with life. I mean, we could probably do, I could do a survey here this morning. And it would prove this out, and we probably already know this, and so we don't need to do the survey. But if I ask every one of you, has life turned out the way you expected it to? All of us would probably say no, right? See, anger can be and can be driven by some unmet expectations. And so often when we go through, when the unexpected happens, when the crisis happens, when that problem happens, that we begin asking ourselves, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this in life? I don't even, like, deserve this. It, and you know what's even more troubling for us? When we look around and we see people that are more sinful than us, and it seems like they're being blessed. It anger, right? Have you, ever been going, you, have you ever gone through a crisis, a particular area in your life? And you had a friend, whether it was someone that you worked with or someone that you knew, and you felt like they were more sinful than you? And it seemed like they were being blessed in that area of their life or everything was going well for them. See, this issue of suffering, it offends our sense of justice. Man, life is, we live in a fallen world. Life isn't perfect. And we cannot expect it to be. Verse 6, as we just keep navigating through this story. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered to the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that is going on. And so the Bible tells us now that, that Satan is, is roaming the earth, looking for someone. In fact, his scripture defines him of the prince of this world. Another name for Satan that you see in this text is, is he is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation talks about this. Job, we see this fleshed out. Listen, let me just stop right here and just tell you, that's why it is so important that you do not become the accuser of the brethren. You're always making accusations about someone's intentions or someone's motives or someone's life because Scripture says when you do that, you are emulating the ministry of Satan and not the ministry of God. That Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Verse 8. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. So look at this. This is what God says about, about Job. Because, see, we think sometimes that if I am a good person and if I live my life right, then I am exempt from pain and suffering. 
The Bible would say something totally different than that. And so now we're learning what, what God says about Job. And God says this. He says, he is the finest man on all the earth. He is blameless. He lives life in right relationship with me. He's a man of complete integrity. He lives life in right relationship with others. He fears God and he stays away from evil. So he's a devoted worshiper. You know, when I read this text, I look at this and, and I thought, and I said, I said, you know what, God? I really don't want you mentioning my name with Satan, right? Just don't bring, don't bring the name Charlie up to him. Verse 9, he goes on. So Satan replied to the Lord, yes. But Job has good reason to fear the Lord. It's a, it's a huge question or a huge statement that we can turn into a question. The question was really this, and the question for us this morning is really this. Would you serve God for nothing? Would you serve God if he did not answer your prayers? Would you serve God if he did not bless you? I mean, are you so devoted to him? Do you live in such right relationship to him, right relationship to others, and that you're a devoted follower, that you would serve God for nothing? Let me ask you a deeper question. Would you serve God in the midst of your blessing? Would you steward the resources well that he has given you? Would you serve? Because I'm telling you, sometimes it is harder for people to serve God in the midst of blessing and wealth and resources than it is to serve him in the midst of hurt and pain and tragedy. There's a huge question for every one of us. Verse 10. See, this is how we know that Satan is not all-knowing. Because Satan is so wrong so many times about how Job's going to respond to this. First Tim, he's talking to the Lord. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. In other words, you've blessed him. Look how rich he is. But reach out. Take everything from him. And he will surely curse you to your face. There are some painful experiences that we'll go through in life that are a result of satanic attacks. Let's just be real. Let's just be transparent here this morning. There are some things that you and I will go through that are a result of satanic attacks. I mean, we don't understand it in our family, but, you know, uh, some things that we've gone through, but we've been a part of planting two great churches, the uh, church here in Fellowship of the Rockies Pueblo, and we've planted a second church in, in Colorado Springs, Fellowship of the Rockies Colorado Springs. During both of those church plants, my oldest daughter, Brittany, uh, went to Children's Hospital. She spent time in Texas Children's Hospital. She spent time in, in the Children's Hospital in Denver when we started the church in, in, uh, in, in Colorado Springs. Both turned out to be an unknown illness. They never found anything. Never will forget when we did our last follow-up appointment in Denver with Children's Hospital. Brittany and I were driving back after an oncology report and blood tests and all of the other stuff. And so we're driving back to Pueblo, and Brittany looked over at me and said, Daddy, please don't ever start another church. <laughs> and so let's just be honest. Let's just be real. The Scripture talks about that, uh, about there is some suffering that comes from Satan. Uh, in fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul writes about that. And he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, in other words, things that God was given him. A thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming 
conceited. And man, when God created the world, there was no pain, there was no sin, there was no suffering. And then sin was entered into the world, the fall. And really and truly, that pain is the result of sin. Whether it's your sin, my sin, the sin of another, or Adam's sin. That we, we, live in a, we live in a fallen world. And life is not perfect. And you and I cannot expect it to be. Or when the unexpected happens, it will level us. It will destroy us. The second principle that we need to look at this morning is this. Is that God is in control of your life, so trust him. It never says that God caused this to happen. It never says that God made this happen. The scripture does say that it came by the permission of God. This does say that God allowed this to happen. Verse 12, here's what the scripture says. He says, all right, you may test him. The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses. And so God puts limits on him, right? I mean, that's clear, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the, the, the Lord's presence. Even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering, God was still in control of, 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 of Job's life. Everything that came into Job's life came through the, the, the filter of the Father, the hands of the Father, the permission of the Father. And so we've got to understand that even though we go through those periods where we have a lot of questions and we may have a lot of hurt or pain, that it can bring us comfort that God is in control of our life. And listen, let's just stop right here. Your suffering does not mean that God is mad at you, that God is angry at you, that God is trying to pay you back from some sin of the past. It doesn't mean any of that. Right? I mean, look at Job's life. Right relationship to God. Right relationship to fellow man, loved his family, devoted to his family, devoted worshiper, a great dad, a great husband. Your suffering may come from self, a choice, a sin, a decision. It comes from Satan. It can come from others. But there's comfort in this fact of knowing God's in control. Fact is, Psalms 34, 18 says this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And God saves the crushed in spirit. I don't know about you, but knowing that God is still in control, I may not understand the why. I may not understand all the answers. And you know what I really believe? With our limited knowledge, even if God gave us the why, we wouldn't accept it. I've never found, as being a pastor, that when someone felt like they got the why, that it brought healing or help to the situation. But knowing that God is in and God is in control, and there's, there's just so much in the book of Job. We could spend a year through this story. Here's another thing about the book of Job. God was aware of everything Job was going through. He was aware of it. He knew it. Why does that bring us comfort? God is aware of everything you're going through. 
There's two types of suffering, right? There's a public suffering to where it could be an illness. It could be a loss of a job, loss of a marriage, loss of relationships, loss of life, whatever. But there's also a silent suffering, right? To where your husband or your wife or your kids or people around you don't even know what you're going through. But Scripture says that just as God was aware of what Job was going through, and he is aware of what you're going through. I mean, in, in that text that I read a little bit earlier, it says that God told, Job, uh, God told Satan it was okay to test him. You know, when I was in engineering, we, we did a lot of load tests. And so when engineers will would, would build a bridge or they'll, they'll build a high-rise building or whatever, then to, to, to deem it okay for cars to travel over or the structure is good, they have to do a load test. And the load test is not designed to destroy the structure. The load test is not designed to destroy the bridge. What the load test is designed to do is to put enough weight on the bridge that that bridge is designed to carry to what? To make sure it's good to make sure it's firm. The test that we go through in life is not to destroy us. It's not to break us. It is to help us and others to understand that the faith that I profess to believe, I really believe. I really live it. Listen, your character is never really developed in a test. Your character is proved in a test. Your character is proved that your, your belief and your witness in following God is genuine and real. I mean, it's so many times when we go through these times, we feel like we're the only one, right? That's why people, and we're going to talk about this next week, but that's why people are so important. Because if you're not careful, you'll isolate yourself to the point to where you feel like you're the only one. Corinthians says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You may think you're the only one in this room with that temptation. You may think you're the only one in this room with that struggle. You may think you're the only one that has to deal with this, and you have to deal with this so strongly. But let me tell you something. That is a false belief. No sin, no temptation comes to you that is not common to man. There are people in this room this moment that are dealing with the very same that you're dealing with. The very same temptation, the very same sin, the very thing, the very same pain or the hurt. That's why people are so important. So we get it and so with it we understand that, you know what? There's people dealing with this stuff just like me. And there are people in this room that have found victory in that temptation and victory in that sin. And he goes on, he says, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So we cannot say, I can't help it. I couldn't say no. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. You see, the problem is we don't take the escape route. We walk right in. But you may endure it. So when we're hurting, when we're going through difficulty, well, we can't say, I I can't make it and I can't stand it. And I can't endure it. Man, there are times in suffering and loss... And I have just taken scripture, and I, and I do this a lot, and just put it on three-by-five cards and keep them in my pocket, and I wear them out. If the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He will meet my needs according to his riches.
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm so glad that word walk is there. You are with me. Why? Because he's close to the brokenhearted. He knows everything you go through. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's talk about his word. He gives me rest. They were doing an interview one time of this elderly lady, and they asked her, it's near death, and, and they asked her in the hospital room, they says, what, what was your, she was just a godly woman, they says, what, what, what was your favorite part of the Bible? What, what's your favorite scripture? And she says, and it came to pass. Because she says, I've lived a life long enough to know that my problems and my struggles always came to pass. They never came to stay. Sometimes God allows suffering into our life, what the scripture says, to mature us and to develop us. You can look it up later. It's in Romans chapter 3, verse 3 uh, through 5. And sometimes God allows suffering to come into our life to, to comfort others. It's for the comfort of others. I mean, scripture talks about that in 2 Corinthians, right? That the things that we go through are, are, are to give comfort to others, that we give comfort to others the same way that God has comforted us. Let me tell you something. God never wastes a hurt and a pain, but you can. When you are unwilling to help others, when you're unwilling to share with others the comfort that you found in him when you went through pain and suffering. Another reason that sometimes God allows pain and suffering to come into our life is to, uh, to test us. It's what James says. Let's read that one to you. Uh, it says, blessed is a man who remains steadfast under a trial. You know why so many people, I believe, don't find blessing and healing in suffering? is because they bolt and run. They just quit. I mean, this passage in James says the blessing comes to the person that is willing to remain under, to remain under the trial, supporting this heavy weight that will almost crush them, but they're willing to remain under. And watch what James says. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. A test is an opportunity for you and I to say, my faith is genuine. My faith is real. Why do you think it is people go through the same problems over and over and over? One broken relationship after another. One broken situation after another. One difficult relationship. One difficult situation after another. You know why it is? They bolt and run. And they bolt and run. They expect, you know what? I have attained what I have wanted. And the next relationship, the next situation is going to be totally different. And it's not. Because it's God's will for you and it's God's will for me that we are willing to stand under the test and under the trial. And out of that, the blessing comes. He goes, steadfast under the trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive what? He receives the crown of life or she receives the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Man, the world, listen, I'm telling you, the world needs to see a picture of what it's like for a believer to actually live what they believe. They need to see a believer, a person that when they go through a trial, when they go through difficulty, they handle it totally different than anyone else. It's what proves your faith. It's what says to others that your faith is real and your faith is genuine. And it's, it's the blessing. 
God gave limited permission to attack Job because he was in control. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine uh, in their oldest brother's house. Now listen, this is a difficult day in Job's household, right? This is going to be a really difficult day. Isn't it interesting that when, when the unexpected happens in your life, that your morning, your day starts off just like any other day? Probably Job and Mrs. Job had coffee together in the, in, the, in the breakfast area with big windows and they looked out over their business and their, their crops and all the people that worked for them and had coffee together and talked about what their day would be like and when he, Mr. Job comes back home from work the next day, their plans and everything like that. When the unexpected happens, doesn't, doesn't your day start off just like any other day? And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing the, and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And while I alone escaped to you. And Job's reeling from that and says, Well, that's bad, but you know what? I, I can navigate through that. Verse 16 and while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I have long have escaped to tell you. More bad news. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck them down. The servants with the edge of the sword and I long escaped to tell you. Job's life in the minute, matter of minutes totally fell apart. A man that was one, once worth millions is now as penniless. In a day when there's no insurance, there's no 401ks, there's no retirement, there's no government subsidies to help. He's lost everything. But this isn't the worst. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came another and, and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell among the young people. And Job, your children are dead. Your seven sons and your three daughters, all of them. And I alone have escaped to tell you I think the worst thing in life would be to lose a son or daughter to bury a child Job was a devoted dad spent time with his kids he atoned for their sins but look at his reaction Job stood up and tore his robe in grief and and he had shaved his head and he fell, fell down to the ground to do what? To worship him. He mourned and he grieved the loss. And this was a man that was in right relationship to God and right relationship to others and right relationship to the family. Job's Christianity wasn't something he talked about. It wasn't an image for him. It was who he is. When the test comes in your life, it will prove out for you. Do I really believe his word? Do I really 
do I really, do I really believe this stuff? Or is this just superficial? Is this just an image? Is, is this just something that kind of gives me warm fuzzy so I just kind of feel better about myself? He made this huge statement. I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. And The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. And Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. See, that's one of the things that just destroy us. When we go through crisis, so oftentimes we blame God. You gave this person to me. You gave this situation to me. And we don't take responsibility for our life, for our sin, for our actions. But Job mourned and grieved and worshipped. The last thing is this, and, and I'm telling you, in the midst of grief, in the midst of struggle, this may be one of the hardest principles of all to grab and to live out. Everything I have belongs to God, so worship him. Job didn't shake his fist at God in anger and blame God and curse God. Man, faith is holding on when you don't understand. Faith is worshiping him when you have all the whys and none of the answers. Faith is, wor- listen, faith is worshiping him when you do not want to or feel like it. Faith is coming into this sanctuary. Faith is coming into this worship service and singing these songs as a statement of faith when you don't really feel like it and you don't, I'm telling you, I have watched so many people be able to worship themselves out of crisis, worship themselves out of tragedy. And Job was that type of guy. Faith is like holding your tongue when you feel like blaming God and cursing God. Faith is trusting God that he is in control. I mean, let me ask you, what options do you have? Where are you going to go? How many, an- how many answers do you get in life? When you decide out of your pain, I don't believe in God anymore, and I will never darken the doors of a church again. How many answers do you get? Does anger bring comfort? Does bitterness bring, bring comfort? Does blaming God for your situations and your choices, does that bring comfort? I mean, when, in Jesus' ministry, when, when he preached a really hard message and disciples and followers started walking away and Jesus turns to Simon Peter and says, how about you? You going to leave me too? Simon Peter says, where would I go? Who has any answers? Listen, I'm telling you, Comfort in crisis, we'll talk about this more next week. Comfort in crisis does not come in the answer of a why. It comes in the form of a person, and his name is Jesus. And it's found in his word. Man, I'm telling you, that is the only thing that gives comfort. Faith is praying, Lord, I don't understand what I'm going through right now. It hurts, and it stinks, and it is painful. But I believe as a statement of faith that you are in control, and I can trust you. I still believe that you love me. I still believe that one day I will be in eternity with you. Well, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more hurt. There'll be no more tears. Man, it is a statement of faith. Verse 3, chapter 2, Then the Lord said to Satan, 
Have you no noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God, stays away from evil. He has maintained his integrity, even though you have urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replies to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life. See, again, Satan is not all-knowing. He was wrong about Job. He is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not in control. But reach out and take away his health, and he will curse you to your faith and face, and he did not. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you know the reason a lot of people get discouraged, and you know the re reason a lot of people really struggle in crisis is because you build this false belief, and you go through crisis, and you believe, you know what, I've hit the bottom. It cannot get any worse, and it does. <laughs> right? Man, how many crises have I been through? And I says, you know what? This is the bottom. Or to feel like we're, we're turning the corner. We're coming out of this. And, and we go back in it. And the reason a lot of people get discouraged is because they think they're all-knowing about the future. And they think, I've hit the bottom. And, they, and Job hadn't hit the bottom. He lost his health. You cannot hurt a parent more than taking away a child. And God put limits on his health. Verse 6, and all right, do with him as you please. The Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and struck Job with ter terrible boils from his head to his foot. And Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. And Okay, so let me caution you before we finish this up. Do not be too hard on Job's wife. I've heard way too many sermons and I've heard way too many theologians and way too many pastors trash Job's wife. And I want to caution you. We've got to stay true to the word and true to the context. Do not be too hard on Mrs. Job. She has lost her home. She's lost her income. She's lost her kids. She may have believed it couldn't get any worse than this. Because what could be worse than losing your kids? And now her husband, she lived with him, right? She knew he lived life. I mean, you live with someone, you know if their faith is genuine or not. She knew. Right relationship to God, right relationship to others. Devoted father. Now they're going to have relational problems. Haven't you noticed this? All crisis brings relational problems. You can put stress on a marriage, stress on friendships, stress on a family, because how are you going to heal? You're both, you're both dealing with loss. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. Watch this. See, by Job's response, we know this shocked Job about the behavior of his wife. Because in the midst of our pain, we all say some things that we shouldn't say or some things out of hurt or pain. And Job replied and says, you talk like a, talk like a foolish woman. Huge question. Should we accept only the good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job never did anything wrong. So what's the difference? What's the difference between Job and Job's wife? Because as the story goes, we're going to find that Job's wife has trouble, a lot more trouble than he does processing through this. Can I tell you where the secret lies? 
There's a difference. Never find in Scripture that Job's wife worshipped God. She was a believer. I mean, she was a follower. You know what the difference was? One person willing to worship him in their pain and one that refused. And they never moved on. The most difficult principle for us to grab is to be able to worship him in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, and learn to find things that we can thank God for.